Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Tom Trowbridge, co-founder of Fluence Labs, a Web3 native computing platform that recently raised $9 million in funding. Tom, thanks for chatting with me today. Brett, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so before we begin talking about what you're building at Fluence Labs, let's start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background. Yeah, sure. So listen, I've been involved in the blockchain and distributed ledger space since 2017 when I helped found Hedera Hashgraph, which is you know HBAR layer one consensus algorithm which is a real competitor potentially to Ethereum, which is doing, I believe, if not the most, maybe the second most number of transactions since inception. And before Hedera, I had a, was in technology and telecom pretty much since graduating college, first on the investment banking side at, at Bear Stearns, and then doing investments for a firm called Alta Communications out of Boston for a number of years. And then basically while doing jobs at a variety of other asset management firms on my own account where I did kind of seed investing over that period of time as well. So never been a direct developer, but have had a lot of exposure to telecom and tech kind of for quite a while. Very cool. And what about blockchain You know, caught your attention and made you make the leap? Listen, I remember very clearly looking at it initially in around 2013 or 14. And a friend of mine, I think, sent me a graphic of the blockchain ecosystem. And it was just one page. And at the time, it must have had I don't know, 50 companies and divided between protocols and dApps and exchanges and custodians. And I was just overwhelmed by it. And I was just like, I don't even know where to start. And so I just sort of put the thing down. And then I guess it was in 16, I started paying a lot more attention to Bitcoin. 17, did a lot of work or not a lot of work, but some work on Ethereum and started to recognize that these were really potentially game-changing And then effectively, a friend of a friend introduced me to the Hedera team. And I, without knowing a ton about the space, it seemed like they really had something exciting and different and potentially superior to other technology and protocols. And I thought it was interesting enough that it was a really good opportunity to kind of jump into something which had been being developed at that point for about five years and jump in at that stage and basically help build the public ledger of it and kind of take it the last bit to having a launch public network. So it was actually pretty interesting because you could come into a project that had had a technical development been going on for years and years and years, but the actual, but the ability to kind of add value and launch it was kind of nascent and with a lot to create. And so the ability to, to do that was a, I think something you just couldn't pass up. And did your friends and you know colleagues mm-hmm. in the asset management space think you were insane when you you know, told them you were going to leave and focus on blockchain? Yeah, there was a heavy skepticism without a doubt. And you can kind of tell by the people who invested in different rounds of my different projects. And so sort of very few in the first kind of stages. And then when it started, you know, people could actually tell it was looking, working and other markets went up and all of a sudden that number of people who wanted to invest can increase significantly. So I think you can just sort of tell by the numbers and check sizes of people that I know personally 
kind of how the view of the industry evolved. And the funny thing is, right before I'd been in a job in the UK, um, I basically launched an office for an asset manager based in the UK, but I was in New York. And this guy is probably one of the more hard asset oriented people possible and probably one of the most skeptical of anything virtual or not kind of real world based. My guess is even today, they would be very skeptical of the whole ecosystem. So there's some people I think that just won't get it, but that's fine. Interesting. Now to dive into to Fluence Labs, in simple terms, what problem are you guys solving and who are you solving that problem for? So Fluence Labs is uh, building a peer-to-peer compute application, actually has built it. And then there are a couple other elements to the stack that come along with it that include a language native for composing peer-to-peer applications, and then a economic layer that actually allows rewarding for the rewarding of code and modules and put on that ledger. And so in terms of what we're solving, if you take a step back, I think the problems we're solving is about monopolistic behavior, government influence and dominance, and central points of failure. And so I think that those are kind of the real core of it. And if you take a step back and try to evaluate each one of those, you'll sort of see what I mean. So mainly referring to the cloud. And so the cloud works perfectly fine right now. But if you look at it, you realize that cloud revenue is growing dramatically. And they're doing that because they have massive pricing power. And they have that because of the oligopoly that exists in cloud. And because they're effectively oligopolists but verging on monopolies, you then have that type of behavior, which means they're not user-friendly in terms of pulling your data out, transferring to a different provider. And so you effectively have very few options to leave once you're on it. And so I think that is basically just wrap all that up and kind of can summarize that into monopolistic behavior. And it's the type of thing which you don't notice initially because initially cloud is user-friendly and you can use it just fine to build and compose an application in the early stages. But the larger you get, the more intertwined you get, the more you realize your constraints driven by whichever of the three large providers you've chosen. And then the other one is central point of failure, which is that you know service is generally good, but the larger these get, the more subject to failures they are and the more significant those failures become. And so we've seen that with WhatsApp going down. We've seen it with you know AWS outages, et cetera. And those may seem as they may appear to be inconveniences only to some people. But you know, you have parts of the world that, you know, government agencies run on WhatsApp effectively. And so when you have single points of failure, that just leads to real economic consequences that I think only increase the more and more is put on to these effectively, you know, centralized networks. And then the last problem that we're solving is one of government influence and dominance. And so that is kind of the most interesting, I think, and trickiest one, which is as companies grow throughout time, the larger companies get and the larger industries get, the more intertwined with government they have to be. And it's because government doesn't want challenge to its power, obviously, and companies just have to play ball with governments. And so when you have these tech companies get to the size they are, that Google, Facebook, Amazon are, they effectively become very easy levers for government oversight, government monitoring, and government censorship. And so it's clearly the case with China and Russia, and you can see that without a doubt. That's not controversial. I and mean, you'd expect that from totalitarian states. 
But it's not as obvious that that is equally or not equally, but very prevalent in democratic states as well. India being a good example where the government has forced the shutdown of multiple WhatsApp kind of accounts from opposition government politicians. It's also shut down websites and groups from from groups of farmers that were protesting a particular legislation that was going to impact how they were able to basically market and sell their goods and at what prices. And the government's easy to do that because they can just go to these companies and say, and threaten shareholders and management and employees. And so they make with dominant centralized infrastructure and dominant centralized kind of providers, you have a very simple place and very easy points of leverage for the government to do something. And when they do that, by the way, once they've done it once or twice, they don't have to do it again because just the ability for them to do it, just a threat of that is a real warning to other similar businesses who have no interest in executives going to jail or you know shareholders revolting because of um, economic consequences. So I think those are the issues that I think not just us, but Web3 is generally intending to solve in various different pieces. And those are kind of the core areas I think we're working on. Fascinating. And who's the typical user today? And how do you see that user profile evolving in, let's say, the next you know two or three years? Well, right now, where we are is we've launched the protocol. And so the compute works. And so what that actually, just to be clear, people understand what that means, is that Peer-to-peer compute, just with that, because that's sort of theoretical in some ways, or or a high-level sounding term, means that right now, if you were to perform computation or you wanted to do something simple or complex, it could be anything from a counter on a website to perform several different operations on a document. Right now, what that would mean is it would go to one place, probably the cloud. It would perform the, the program, perform the operations, complete it, and then return it back to your desktop, phone, whatever it is. What a peer-to-peer application or a peer-to-peer compute means is that you can, instead of going one place to perform that operation, the software looks up all the different places where that operation could be performed. It could be performed multiple places and multiple hosts in multiple countries and multiple jurisdictions, finds whichever place is closest or cheapest, performs that operation, looks for the next operation and where it can perform that, performs it then looks for the next operation and where to perform that, performs it, and then comes back. And so what that means is that each of those operations that's performed can be done in multiple locations. So any one of those kind of hosts that perform it could go down and others provide backup. And if all doing one operation go down, it doesn't impact the ability to complete the other operations as well. So that's the effective point. The other element of it is that the operations, the compute can happen very close to the data. So if you, instead, if you have all your data and a huge amount of data sitting in a data center somewhere, it's inefficient to try to do run compute on that somewhere else. So you want to run compute on that data. And so that is about, you know, compute at the edge, or say you have a car in the sort of new world of electrical, you know, vehicles where you're collecting lots of information, you may want to be processing that information on the edge close to that vehicle, not back in a centralized data center somewhere far away. And so those are the types of things that either edge compute or peer-to-peer compute is good for. And in terms of where Fluence is, we've launched the protocol. It works. It's live. But right now, it's being used internally at a couple of companies as we develop 
the economic layer. And the economic layer is what is going to basically be the payment rails that allow hosts to be compensated for running the compute and allow people who create software, which is effectively the compute, to be compensated when their software is used. And so until we have that economic layer alive, the actual uses will be internally as people basically solve their own problems using the open source kind of fluence protocol, but there won't be broad uses for it. And so, you know, an example of this, just to make it a little clear for people in the Web3 world, there's two I can use. One would be like, for example, Snapshot, which does voting for DAOs. And right now, that voting takes place in a centralized server. And that is, it's not, there's not a problem. It's working fine. And that's perfectly done well. But that is a single point of failure. At some point, they will decentralize that. And that compute will happen in a peer-to-peer fashion. It probably will happen on Fluence. It may not. But that's an example of a place it can be. Another would be sort of Protocol Labs, which is the entity behind IPFS and Filecoin. You know, there is... I think 16 exabytes of capacity on that system and, you know, a smaller amount actively stored, that data will need to be processed in those locations. And so that data is likely to be processed using and the computer and that data likely to happen on Fluence. And then there, you know, I can go into kind of other examples as well, but the concept is this distributed, replicable, redundant edge computation. Got it. And when it comes to the term, you know, P2P computing or peer-to-peer computing, which, you know, I hear a lot about these days, what are some of those top misconceptions that you hear people get wrong? Well, the first is that peer-to-peer these days seems synonymous with blockchain. And that's just not the case. And so if we think back for a second, what was the first peer-to-peer use case that caused a big splash? Napster, right? Napster was way before Satoshi. And so, you know, I think that we have to remember peer-to-peer actually predates blockchain. And the important thing that I mentioned on Fluence is that Fluence is not a blockchain. We will use blockchain for payment tracking, for verification and validation, but the actual compute does not happen on chain. And so I think The distinction between peer-to-peer and blockchain is important. Blockchain is actually, and there's a lot of people won't necessarily love this comment, but blockchain is actually a subset of peer-to-peer. And so that's sort of one misconception. The other misconception I think I'd make is that people think of peer-to-peer as, you know, a lot of home computers, like a lot of desktops at home, you know, linking up with one another. And that's kind of going back to the, maybe even the Napster days. But all that means is that computers and drives connect with each other without a central intermediary. And so you can have peer-to-peer between five, nine data centers where they're communicating with each other, either directly or via a protocol, but are not in a central system like AWS. So I think those are probably, and so that is when we say peer-to-peer, we don't just mean people running applications on their home computers but we're actually thinking about potentially very robust data centers running and processing information, but just doing it in an open source and open environment. Got it. 
Now, to switch gears here a little bit, you recently raised a $9 million Series A from a really impressive list of investors. Why do you think they're so excited about what you're building there? I think those investors, which you know, include, um, you know, multi-coin leaded and we have a number of, of, you know, Tiger Global was involved and Protocol Labs, so I mentioned earlier, Arweave, and then a large number of other terrific investors. And they're also following on, you know, 1KX, who was a seed investor, Blockchain and Distributed Global, all of whom invested early as well. And I think they recognize they're all very sophisticated Web3 investors, and they see the potential for where peer-to-peer can go. The other point I think is worth mentioning here that I haven't discussed yet is a whole entire concept of composability. And that is kind of a huge piece of what Fluence is, which it takes a second to unpack it because it's complex. But I've mentioned Fluence as a peer-to-peer compute layer, and that's 100% true. The additional piece of it is this language called Aqua, which I mentioned earlier, and that allows the native composition of peer-to-peer applications. So right now, if you were to create a peer-to-peer application, you would have to write from scratch, most likely, a large number of operations that involve looking up, validating peers, and then pulling data and processing it and sending it back out. Aqua abstracts all of that. And so it dramatically simplifies the building and composition of peer-to-peer applications. And so we think what you end up with ultimately is you're able to build applications as simple as assembling kind of building blocks like you do for those who are familiar with it in the DeFi ecosystem. And when you have an open protocol like Fluence, applications that are on it and modules that are on it are all composable with each other. And so what we ultimately see is the back-end infrastructure of applications, which is difficult and expensive to build and integrate, become almost commoditized. And a terrific amount of that energy formerly spent in building and scaling the back-end of applications can now be focused on user interface and on custom and ever more targeted application kind of design. And so that is a whole nother element that you can kind of build on top of once you have compute and an open cloud, which is effective what this is, you then have the ability to build a whole new generation of applications. And so this is a very long answer to your question, but I think these investors see the opportunity for peer-to-peer. They've seen it work in blockchain with regard to cryptocurrency. They've seen real traction in storage with you know Arweave and IPFS and Filecoin. And so compute is the last kind of leg of the kind of triangle that is necessary for a true peer-to-peer cloud. So I think they're excited about the ability to see that reality and then understand kind of the broad implications if and when that is completed and scaled. And what about you personally, Tom? What excites you most about the work you're doing and you know, what makes you get up every day and work towards such an ambitious project? Listen, I think generally I'm very worried about, you know, kind of back where I started, the dominance of several very large technology companies globally and where that could lead the world in 5, 10, 20 years. And that is deeply concerning to me with those companies becoming effective arms of government, of surveillance, of censorship. And I think that basically Web3 is our only chance 
to not live in a completely monitored and censored, almost dystopian world. And I think that, frankly, if we don't have Web3, if we don't have our own data ownership, if we don't have really truly peer-to-peer free applications, there's no way we actually don't end up in a world like China with universal social credit scores, government monitoring, and you know, real, real oppression. And I don't think that's anyone in particular's fault. I just think that that's just the natural evolution of companies and governments is to grow stronger and try to increase power and stay in power. And that's just kind of the way things always work. No one has ever, or, or I guess very few people have actively or deliberately given up influence and power when they've had the chance. And so I think that is what I would like to have, but personally and, and have fluence play a role in helping to avert. And if we zoom out into the future, you know, what does that future look like for Fluence Labs? Let's say, you know, three or five years from now. I think we'll have a fully functional, you know, robust stack of peer-to-peer compute, which is actively deployed in thousands of nodes providing compute for a wide number of applications. I think the most interesting thing, though, will be all of the modules and software written and hosted on Fluence, which are then composed by anybody globally into an applications, the likes of which are hard for us to imagine. And so I think back to when the internet launched and even back in 96 and 98, you know, you couldn't think of Uber and everything else. You actually had to have the iPhone. You had to, you know, have location become a part of it. You had to have mobile devices become a part of it. You had to have a couple different things happen. And then all of a sudden you started seeing applications like Uber that you never would have envisioned, not only when the internet began, but even when the iPhone began, you couldn't have thought about that. And so I'd like that analogy as a way to think about an incredibly ubiquitous application that we take for granted these days that was hard to imagine when the blocks were first put together that enabled it. And I think that I think about Fluence a little bit that way, where when you have the blocks of real composability and real peer-to-peer, it's hard to fully conceptualize the different creativity that that will unleash. And so I don't have a clear vision of what that world will be, but I think it will have a change in our lives that will be similar to the change that mobile effectively combined with the internet has brought to our lives so far. Amazing. All right, Tom, well, I think that's all we're going to have time for today. But before we wrap up, if people want to follow along with the Fluence Labs journey and keep up with you, where should they go? Well, I am the Tom Tro on Twitter. You can find us at Fluence underscore Labs. Those are probably the best way. Tom Tro, Telegram, Fluence Labs, Telegram as well. But join our group, follow us on Twitter, and stay tuned and feel free to reach out and ask questions. Amazing. Well, thanks again. And we look forward to seeing you execute on this vision. Let's keep in touch. Great. Thanks so much, Brett. Cheers, Tom. 